Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? It's good to be with you. My name's Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. It's a weekend to remember those that have given their lives to give us this free nation, folks. And so be thinking about that as you're chewing on a hot dog today or tomorrow. Don't forget about what it's about. Uh, it's a great reminder. Uh, great reminder. We've been in a series of lessons called Get Out. And uh, someone asked me, are you telling us to get out? Yeah, I'm telling you to get out of here. Now? Well, could we wait? Let me get done, and then you can leave. But uh, we're, we're talking about getting out and finding our ministry in the community. God never designed us to just do ministry in the confines of our church building. If you look at this passage up here, uh, Neil, I think you can go ahead and put her up there. Yeah, this is in Matthew chapter 7, I believe. Jesus says, you're the light that gives light to the world. A city that is built on a hill cannot be hidden. It's supposed to be public, in other words. He says, you're the light of the world. He goes, and look, it says, people don't hide a light under a bowl. He says, use some common sense here. You don't hide it. People aren't supposed to do that, especially God's people. They put it on a lampstand so that the light shines for all the people so they can see it in the house. So they all are able to see it. It's for everybody in the world. Not God's house, but God's world. He goes, in the same way, he says here, you should be a light to other people. Live so they will see the good things you do and will praise your Father in heaven. He's not saying live in such a way so everybody will think you're something. Wow, look at her. Look at him. They're cool. They're something. Wow, wow. No, it's not to bring glory to you. It's to bring glory to God, that they'll praise God, and they'll see God clearly in your workplace, on your campus, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your county. Last week I did something with a, I got a couple of object lessons today. I want an object lesson kick, so bear with me. It's getting close to camp, so you're really desperate, you know. Uh, but uh, last week I, I used that folding chair, and I couldn't get it out. It took me a while to get it out. And then I'm trying to put it back in, and it was such a chore. And Allison come up to me, Allison Osborne, said, Tim, you forgot something. I said, what's that? You forgot the obvious point of the whole lesson, uh, of that whole object lesson. I said, what is it? He goes, it can't be useful till you get it out. And think about it. As long as I've got a box here from Amazon... And as long as the contents are inside, I mean, that's nice. It came to my house. But, but you know what? It's not useful. It's never useful until I open up the box, get inside, find out what it is, and then unwrap it and begin to use it. It's not until then. And that's true with you and I. Until we get out of this box, out of this building, get into our communities and serve and find opportunities to serve, we're going to be useless. And so that's why I want to encourage you in this series, as we got four more lessons after today, I want to encourage you to get out of the box. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your routine. Mix it up a little bit. Try something. Last week we had um, Sheila Vaughn from uh, Project Read, and 50, over 50 of you signed up to help in some way. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, that is great. Yeah, amen. And I hope that, uh, I hope that uh, you know, today you'll think about another way you can volunteer to help our community. Um, I read this last week. I misquoted something, and I want to set the record straight, okay? Uh, I had said something about, and someone asked me, because 40, out of 49 people... Um, uh, 43 were brought to Christ or through somebody. Well, actually, this was made by Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman. He said, out of 40 people who are healed by Jesus, 34 were brought to Jesus or the Lord was taken to them by someone. 
Only six out of those 40 managed to find their way to Jesus alone. Now he goes on to say this. He says, A vast number of people who find their way to Jesus today, most of them reach him because of friends. The friends of Jesus are concerned enough about them to act. And that's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about being people of action, not just of intent, not just of, oh, I I really feel, but we'll actually follow through with action. And uh, guys, I'll tell you, our county, Madison County, our cities in Madison County, we could say this, uh, listen, we could say, I could say our world's in bad shape, and I'll go, yeah, that's true. But you know, I, I, I don't know if I can do anything right now about what's going on somewhere else in the world, but I tell you what, our county... Our city, we have a heroin epidemic in this place that is ruining families all over the place. And it's not just heroin. It's all kinds of problems and strongholds. There are lots of helpless, hopeless people looking for help. And who's going to raise up and help them? Well, I hope that you and I will say, here am I, Lord, send me. Send me to help. I'm willing to help. Now, I was looking at passages uh, as to what to preach today. What would be a good passage to talk about how to help somebody who cannot help themselves? How do you help someone that just, they're so hopeless? And I, 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 I narrowed it down between the demon-possessed man and this fellow we looked at today. And, and having a discussion with a couple of people, one of them being Jim, you know, he used some attorney lingo on me, and he got me talked into using this passage. I'll be honest with you, okay? But, I mean, I said, I'm thinking to myself, why not the demon-possessed man? I mean, Jesus got out of the boat, and he did something. That would be cool. Well, that's a gimmick. I like that. And he goes, yeah, but those four guys that helped this fellow through the roof, I can identify with them better than I can sometimes with Jesus. I understand what he's saying. And so we're going to be looking at this example here in Mark chapter 2. And if you'd like to read along, you can read along in your cell phone, your Bible, whatever you're using, um, or you can read up here on the screen. This recording is in Luke 5 and in Mark 2. Two of the Gospels here record this, what happened here. It says, A few days later, when Jesus came back to Capernaum, the news spread that he was at home. Many people gathered together so there was no room in the house, not even outside the door. And Jesus was teaching them God's message. Four people came, carrying a paralyzed man. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they dug a hole in the roof right above where he was speaking. When they got through... They lowered the mat with the paralyzed man on it. When Jesus saw the faith of these people, he said to the paralyzed man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus knew immediately that these teachers of the law were thinking. So he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to tell this paralyzed man your sins are forgiven, or to tell him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk? But I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, stand up, take up your mat, and get out of here. He says, go home. Immediately the paralyzed man stood up, took his mat, and walked out while everyone was watching him. The people were amazed and praised God. Catch that? They were amazed and they praised God. They said, we've never seen anything like this. And oh, how refreshing it would be for our world to see God working. Wouldn't it? And it's through you and I that he works. He he does this amazing stuff through broken, cracked pots, whatever you want to call us, broken people helping mend other people's lives. 
It's interesting what's going on here. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law believe that there is a connection between uh, sin and physical ailment. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say this morning, if you've got the sniffles, you're in sin. You probably don't have to have the sniffles to know that. Right? I mean, we're all messed up. We all have sin going on. And some of us are doing our best, but even at our best, we fall short. We just sang a song that says we fall oceans short of God's glory. And it's true. But I noticed that. There's a connection. They make a connection. And Jesus, to prove that he can help people, says, what would be easier, sins forgiven or to take up your mat and walk? I'll tell you what. Let me show you that I can help this man. Take up your mat and walk. And the man gets up. And his sins are forgiven. And this blows the Pharisees' minds. What I want us to concentrate on is these four fellas. Who are these four guys? Because it's these four guys that help this helpless man. They help this man some way. And I'm interested in that. So that's why I'm calling this lesson, How to Help Those Who Cannot Help Themselves. Because there's some people that just are so messed up, that are so deep in a rut, that they can't get out without help. Would you agree? You know anybody like that? They're just so messed up, that nobody, nobody wants to help them anymore? Well, this guy here, he's so messed up, he can't walk. And so we're going to look at this. What do these four guys do for this fellow, and what happens here? So here's the lesson today. I can help those who cannot help themselves, first of all, when I believe God can make them better. If I'm to help people who can't help themselves, I first need to convince myself that they can get better. I've got to convince myself, I've got to believe that God can help them. It says, the Lord was giving Jesus the power to heal people. This is Luke 5 now. Just then, some men were carrying on a mat a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him and put him down before Jesus. This point is really about the power of your faith. Here's a guy who's a paraplegic. For years he's been this way. Now, I don't know if he was born this way, or he maybe he did something stupid, and now he can't walk. He was... Doing something crazy, jumped off something. You know, I've heard people jumping off the cliffs uh, on a, uh, and thinking it's deep water and it's not, and they're paralyzed. Maybe that's what's happened to him. Maybe some accident took place. I do know this. He can't walk, and it's been a long time. And maybe he's to the point where he's come to terms, I'm never going to be able to walk again. He's accepted that. He's realized it's hopeless, it's never going to change, it's too late. But news of Jesus comes into town, into Capernaum. And they find out that he's at a house. By the way, this is Peter's house. Most people believe it's Peter's house that is where he's staying. And four guys show up at this fellow's door. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, Bill. Yeah, I don't know if his name was Bill, but let's pretend. Bill, yeah. Hey, Jesus is in town. He's healing people. Want to go? I don't know, guys. I don't know. Come on, man. Look, I'll tell you what. We'll carry you. We brought a stretcher. Come on. We're taking you down there. I don't know, guys. I don't know. I don't, what's the point? We're, you're going. You're going. Come on. Grab him, guys. And they grab him and put him on the mat. Why are they doing this? I even think maybe the paralyzed guy is thinking, why are you doing this for me? 
Why are you going to the trouble of carrying me somewhere? It's because they believe he can get better. They actually believe he can get better. I can imagine they're reaching the house. They get to the house and according to the Bible, the crowd is so big, the doorway is crowded, they can't get in. I can just see them going, excuse me, can we just get, we got a sick guy here. We got a guy that can't walk. Come on, help us out. And I'm like, sorry, man. It's, oh, sorry. So what do they do? Go to plan B. Usually the houses in Palestine had steps that went along the side where you could get up on the roof. And you can imagine these guys carry him up on the roof, and they're looking at the ceiling, and they're trying to gauge, okay, where is Jesus at right in here, you think? I think you're right. And they start pulling the tiles. And when they pull the tiles, there's straw and mud between the rafters, and they begin to dig and dig and pull all that out of the way until there's a hole there. The crowd. What's, what's going on with the crowd? Why don't the crowd care? You know, guys, a lot of people don't care about those that can't help themselves. Now, I want to tell you, I, I'm not here to say, you crowd, you people don't care, church doesn't care about people. I could say that, but honestly, I think we get it honest. This crowd is looking at Jesus. They're listening to Jesus. They don't mean to be uncaring. It just happens to be that way. You ever cared so much about what you're getting that you forget about somebody else? That's what's going on here. I can see that. And so they pull these tiles, they lower him, and Jesus, it says, looks up at these guys whose heads are sticking, you know, through the hole. When Jesus saw how strongly they believed that he would help. It's not the paralyzed guy. It's the four friends. He says to the sick man, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, sometimes it takes the faith of someone else. This messes with me. This messes with my theology a little bit here. Because I always, I mean, I, and I watch this sometimes here, Greater Alton, and we're trying to be balanced here, but I just want to, I want to give a little caution here. In our effort to help people take responsibility for their own spiritual growth, the goal is not to take ourselves out of their life. Sometimes I need the faith of somebody else to prime the pump of my faith. There's times when I'll, I'll be thinking of something and my grandmother will be talking to me. You mean you hear voices, Tim? No, I don't hear voices. Not hers. But, but I can remember statements she's made and things that she's done and they encourage me when my faith is weak. Sometimes it's the faith of someone else I need. Think about the people who had faith in you and brought you to church. Invited you to church and you were a mess. But they had faith in God and saw you needed help more than you realized. And what I'm trying to say, I guess, this morning is this. Do you believe God can help people? You say, oh, of course, of course. Wait a minute. Do you believe God can heal people? Of course. Wait a minute. Do you believe God can help people with strongholds? Yeah. Do you believe God can help people with addiction? You see, I think a lot of people have a hard time believing that addicts can recover. I think a lot of people on this planet don't believe addicts can rebound and recover. 
And I'm afraid it spills over even into the kingdom. What do you mean? Well, let me give you some common lies that people have about drug addicts, okay? The first common lie is once an addict, always an addict. They'll never change. You ever thought that? Ever said that? Ever heard that? Uh, it's too late. You know, they're, once you're an addict, it's over. Here's another one. Here's another lie. No one can really help them. They're a lost cause. People have tried, and here's how I've heard it said, and here's how I've said it before. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. You know, the Bible says, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, Tim. And what are you saying? There's nothing you can do? Well, there's nothing I can do. That's a lie. That's a lie that we've been believing for generations. We can't help. There's nothing I can do. You can't pray for them. You can't love them anyway. You know, sometimes my best moments have come from my worst moments when people just loved me anyway and put up with me. But that's a lie that people believe. No one can really help them. Here's another one. I'm tired of their broken promises. They're deserving the punishment they get. They're always making these promises. They never fulfilled them, and they deserve the punishment they're getting. I mean, look, they lost their job. They lost their car. They're losing, you know, they, by the way, we're not just talking about heroin today. We're talking about people who can't pay their bills. They chronically are looking from job to job to job to job. They lose their tempers. They've got other addictions, other issues, other strongholds that just are difficult to overcome by themselves. Another one here. Oh, they can quit whenever they want, but they don't want to. A lot of people believe this, folks. You know who believes it the most? The addict. The addict believes it the most. The one that has the stronghold. And that's been my experience. I'm on my smartphone here, and I'm not real smart on my smartphone. I'm still learning, okay? But this is a letter, an open letter from an addict. And it goes like this. Dear mom, dad, husband, wife, son, daughter, I'm an addict and I need your help. Don't lecture, blame, or scold me. You would be angry if I was sick with cancer or sick with diabetes. I'm sick, really sick and messed up. Don't pour out my liquor. It's just a waste. It's a waste because I can always find a way of getting more. Don't provoke me to your anger. If you attack me verbally or physically, you will only confirm my bad opinion of myself. I hate myself enough already. Don't let your love and anxiety for me lead you into doing what I ought to do for myself. If you assume my responsibilities, you make my failure to assume them permanent. My sense of guilt will be increased and you are going to feel resentful. Don't accept my promises. I'll promise anything to get off the hook. But the nature of my illness, of my stronghold, prevents me from keeping my promises, even though I mean them at the time. Would you not make empty threats? But if you do, make the decision to stick with it. Don't believe everything I tell you. It may be a lie. Denial of reality is a symptom of my problem. Moreover, I'm likely to lose respect for those 
I can fool too easily. Don't let me take advantage of you or exploit you in any way. Love cannot exist for long without a dimension of justice. And don't cover up for me or try to in any way spare me of the consequences of my addiction, my spending habits, whatever struggle I have. Don't lie for me, pay my bills, or meet my obligations that may avert or reduce the vast crisis that would prompt me to seek help. I can continue to deny that I have a problem as long as you provide an automatic escape for the consequences of my problem. Above all, would you please learn all you can about strongholds and addictions? Especially the ones that relate to me. Why not go to a meeting and see what it's all about? Why not read articles and Literature that will help you understand what I'm going through or talk to your friends that are on the same journey as I. They're the people that can help you see the whole situation clearly. And I'll tell you something this morning, church. If there's anything that I think we struggle with, it's this believing that God can change people. Because when I start believing... God starts working. When I start believing God can help people, God will start working through me. Years ago, this idea of believing can God help people, I got slapped in the face with a phone call. Uh, years ago, a friend calls, Tim, you need to get down to the ER. Why? And she names the person. What's going on? They're at the ER. You need to get down there fast. What's going on? And she's almost ashamed to tell me, like I'm going to respond a certain way. Well, she's OD'd. She's OD'd on some stuff. I get in my car. I go down it's at El Memorial. I get down there. I go into ER, and there she is. And, you know, I know, I know it's hard sometimes to get a visit from me, <laughs> you know. Like I'm some, some of you think, oh, my, Tim's here. Am I dying? You know. Uh, Tom Tarantino, I waited in the waiting room for him, okay, uh, th- during his surgery. And the first thing he does is apologizes for me, for me waiting in the waiting room. What a guy, huh? And I'm thinking, yeah, Tom, I wish I was traded places with you, man. I'd rather be where you are now. Not. <laughs> but you know, it's anyway. This woman, she's in, she's she's sitting there. She's got tubes in her, and she's. And the, and, the, and the bed's reclined up and just tears. Oh, Tim, why are you here? Don't look at me. I'm a mess. And I go, it's okay, it's okay. And, I, I, you, know, I, and you say, what would you say, Tim? I didn't know what to say. You know, the, there's some things you just don't know what to say. I was told in preacher school, when you get in situations like that, Tim, just, just show up and shut up. And so I showed up and I shut it up and I just held her hand and patted it. and said, It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. What blew my mind was the way the nurses treated this woman. Some of you are nurses, right? What are they called? Frequent flyers? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any nurse know what I'm talking about when I say frequent flyer? My son works at an ER at DePaul Hospital, and he says, yeah, we have frequent flyers. What are those? Well, those are people that keep coming in again and again and again, usually over the same thing. And they're tre- they, have no- they have very little patience for people like this. And I watched this nurse jerking stuff around, hurrying up, 
snapping at this woman and then leaving. And she's like, I deserve this. I deserve this. Where's the people that are going to believe that God can make a difference? Who are those people going to be if they're not going to be here? See, that's, that's how we start. That's how we start helping people. We believe they can change. That God can change them. Let me give you a few verses here that encourage me, okay? This is found in Romans 4. It's about Abraham. If you remember, Abraham was 100 years old. Remember that lady uh, just a couple weeks ago had a baby at 70? The husband was 79. And she's so excited. Oh, I've got a baby. She's 70. That's like skipping, you know, the middleman and going right to grandkids. What are you doing? Now, by the way, if you're 70, I don't mean anything. Would you want a kid at 70? Uh-uh. Okay, I got it. Okay. And I'm thinking all the medicine and all the doctors, these team of people working to do that. Why? It's difficult to have a child at 70. Duh. Well, before all of that, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. And God promised him he'd have kids. And look, it says, I have made you the father. Paul is trying to encourage the Roman church to see something about their God, to believe something about their God. I have made you the father of many nations, he says to Abraham. And look what Paul says. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. It was very popular when you tore a hole in the ceiling or in the roof of a building in Palestine, you would lower a coffin and take the coffin out of the roof. I don't know why. I read this several places. I don't understand that, if it was Jewish tradition or what. But many times they would pull the coffin through the roof or put it in through the roof. The doors, are they that narrow? And just imagine, I'm thinking to myself, here's somebody digging. Oh, somebody's, uh, this guy's probably dead. It didn't matter. It wouldn't have mattered anyway. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that it's God who can bring dead things back to life. He can take a guy, if, if the guy, there's a gap in his spine and he cannot walk, he can take and create something new out of nothing. When there's nothing there. And I've asked myself, do I believe this? How deeply do I believe this? Because if I'm going to help people that are helpless, they don't have enough to help themselves. It's just too hard, too heavy. It starts with believing that God can help them. It starts believing they can get better. Look at this next verse. It says here in 2 Corinthians 5, What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons, for the old life is gone and the new life has begun. Wow, praise God. That those who become Christians, those who believe, trust the Lord, it says, the Bible says here, that old life is as good as gone. It is gone. A new life now begins. Total transformation. Do I believe this? You have probably a family member or a friend or someone that they're a mess. Financially, they're upside down. In matters of employment, they can't keep a job two weeks. They are in this rut of thinking that everybody's against them. They're running through a streak of bad luck. I had somebody last week corner me and say, I just feel like God's punishing me. I go, 
I don't think God's doing it. I think you're doing it to yourself. God doesn't need to help you. You're making these decisions. And they're just bad for you. And yet God says, you know, come aboard with me and I can give you a totally different life. Do I believe that? Do I believe people really can change? That's a big thing. If It begins there. Here's the second thing I notice, and that is this. I can help people that cannot help themselves when I'm concerned enough to do something about it. This is the power of my participation. James has it. What a strange verse. Uh, when you st- stop, But then as you stop and think about why he's using this illustration, he's saying this is how you know if you have faith. He's talking about faith and deeds. And he says faith is not a feeling or an intent. It has to be accompanied with action. And look what he uses as an illustration. If you know someone who doesn't have any clothes or food, you shouldn't just say, I hope all goes well for you. Uh, I hope you will be warm and have plenty to eat. What good is it to say this unless you do something to help? I can have empathy in my community. I can have empathy towards someone and go, oh, I just feel for you. How's that phrase we heard back in the 90s? I feel your pain. And we can say that without the Arkansas accent, guys. Oh, I feel for them. Yeah, but what am I going to do? What will I do? Because from the, these four guys didn't just feel. They followed with something physical. Look again, Luke 5. The Lord was giving Jesus the power to heal people. Just then some men were carrying on a mat a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and put him down before Jesus. But because there were so many people there, they could not find a way in. So they went up on the roof and lowered the man on his mat through the ceiling in the middle of the crowd, right before Jesus. William Barclay once said this. He said, these men put feet on their faith. These four guys, I'm asking myself, why would these four guys work so much to help this guy out? Well, they love him, they care about him. Would it be also something to consider that they identified with this guy? That they could put themselves, maybe, in this guy's shoes? Would that have motivated them? Maybe they saw the disappointment on his face when the crowd was so thick and he's like, see, I told you it was a waste of time. No, no, no. We're doing something about this. Or maybe they saw themselves in some way or saw someone they love in his situation. That could be my husband, my wife, my child. That could, like the old acapella song, that could have been me. May I ask you something this morning, church? How do you feel when you read in the newspaper or hear on the news of another heroin overdose? Are you sick of it? Are you angered by it? I mean, what do you feel? Better, better yet, what will you do? What will you do? Jesus talked about this, how empathy is very important, that we need to learn to be empathetic with other people and connect ourselves into and identify ourselves with other people. He says, this is one of the biggest statements he makes in the New Testament. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. He's saying, can you identify 
When you see somebody needing something, how would you want to be treated if you needed something like that? Be concerned enough to do something about it. It says in Hebrews 13 here, I showed you this verse last week, it bears repeating. Don't forget those who are in prison. Remember them as though you were in prison with them. Don't forget those who are suffering. Remember them as though you were suffering with them. And look what, look what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 11. Who makes a mistake and I don't feel his sadness? Who falls without my longing to help him? He's empathetic and he's saying, I don't just feel. I'm going to do something about it. Who is spiritually hurt? I think the one translation is, and I don't inwardly burn. It burns me up when I see somebody being mistreated and not doing well. What I'm asking you this morning is, do you empathize with the problems in your community? You see, guys, I I grew up... By the way, my family's been touched with addiction in many different ways. I can't say anymore... That's happening across the street or across town. You can't either. How many of you here have somebody in your family that's been touched by addiction or a stronghold of some sort? Right? Yeah, and we said your neighborhood, your workplace. And like I said to you earlier, I'm not thinking about what can I do for somebody, you know, on the other side of the United States. I'm just, I think what Ty said was something about, I'm stuck with Madison County. We're stuck with Madison County. This is our county. This is our community. This is our place. And in a way, these guys, what I noticed about these guys was, okay, your problem is becoming our problem. Now, I know that just sounds so counter what maybe you've heard at times. Well, we don't want to enable anybody. I'm not talking about enabling anybody. I'm talking about getting off our blessed assurance and doing something And not just feeling something. Doing something in our community about the drug problem. What will Greater Alton do? How will we respond to this? What I see these four guys doing, they went from, it's not just his problem. We're in this together. And we're going to deal with this together. They're going to own it. So I help people when I'm concerned enough to do something about it. Number three, I can help people that can't help themselves when I partner with people who can help. This is the power of teamwork. It says in Mark 2, four people came carrying a paralyzed man. I've asked myself, who are these guys? Are they friends? Are they family? We really don't know. Mark and Luke don't tell us. Could they be strangers? Could they be people that just, maybe uh, one guy's a friend and he has a buddy that doesn't even know his guy that can't walk and says, hey, I need to do something. Would you come with me and help me with this? I really don't know if they're friends or family, but I'll tell you what I do know about these guys. They share the same concern for this man. And they're willing to work together to solve the problem. Ecclesiastes 4, Solomon said these words, two people are better off than one, three are even better. There's power in numbers. 
There's greater power when those numbers unite and work together. It says in Galatians 6, 2, Help carry each other's burdens. In this way, you follow Christ's teaching. That sounded just like Matthew 7 a minute ago. He says, man, when you carry each other's burdens, help each other out. There's some things, guys, are just too heavy for me to lift, too heavy for you to lift, too heavy for your friend to lift. They've got to have some help. They need you in their life. I want to show you something here. This is the last point. If I really want to help people that cannot help themselves, I've got to stick with it. I've got to be perseverant, okay? Um, if you want to write this on your notes, I help them when I keep working and I don't give up. This is the power of persistence. There's something about persistence. You know, these guys, if you look at this passage here in Mark, it says that they hit a wall, basically. They come up, the door's blocked, so what do they do? They try something else. They keep at it until they figure it out. One of the greatest obstacles in helping people that cannot help themselves is relapse, repeating the same stuff. It gets old. Is It's frustrating. And a lot of times that keeps me from wanting to help again because I got hurt. I can imagine these guys digging. I don't think they, they went there with shovels. They're digging with their hands. It's a lot of effort, a lot of work to go, you look, this problem isn't going to get solved the way I expected. It's going to require a little more from me and some persistence. So I've got to keep at it. I know all of us here have somebody that's a mess. Maybe you're somebody that's in a mess. And I want to simply say to you, don't give up. Don't stop. Keep, keep at it. But if you're somebody that's helped people and you go, I don't want to help people anymore, these kind of people, because they're so hard. I want to ask you to reconsider that. Look at the Bible says here, this last passage we look at. It says these words in Galatians. It says, don't get tired of helping others. You'll be rewarded when the time is right if you don't give up. A fellow one time, he needed some work done in his home. He's going to remodel. And so he called a buddy up. He was a contractor. And he said, hey, can you help me? I, I, I need some help with this. i got a wall I need to have torn down. And the guy says, no problem. I'll be right over. And he comes over. And he's expecting all this fancy equipment, you know, pneumatic hammers and all this stuff. All the guy brings is over is a hammer. He goes, what's that? That's my hammer. What are you going to do? Taking that wall down. Really? Yeah. Uh, let me show you. And he just starts hitting. Nope. He just starts hitting the wall. He just keeps it hitting the wall. The guy's sitting there going, what are you doing? I'm taking your wall down. I don't think you're making any impact. Your, your hammer keeps bouncing off. I don't th- what, what, you're wasting my time. I thought you knew what you were doing. Am I having to pay for this session? Because this is not going to work. And he starts counting. He starts counting how many times this guy is hitting this wall. Over and over. You're sweating. Why didn't you bring your fancy tools? Man, this is not going to work. This is the biggest waste of time. When are you going to stop? Aren't you getting thirsty? I'd be getting thirsty. In fact, I'm going to go get something. I'll be back in a half hour. He starts counting those wax. He gets up to 25. He gets up to 30. Something happened. 
You hearing it? What is that? Walls coming down. The stronghold is coming down. He keeps counting. He's just about to 40. And all of a sudden he sees a crack. He sees a crack. And it breaks the wall. Persistent? This is the smallest hammer I own. This is the small. Remember Shawshank Redemption? I need a rock hammer. And all you need is pressure and time. And he dug out and got out. And, and you know, he was free. Just persistent. I'm saying to you, as a brother of an addict, as a son of an alcoholic, we need to keep trying. We need to keep working. There's nothing I can do. You can keep praying. Have you quit praying for that person? Keep praying for them. Keep praying that God will work on them. Keep praying that God will will get them to that place, that desperate place. I mean, that hole in that roof, it was a mess to help this guy. It's going to be messy to help people. Keep praying for them. Keep believing that God can do something. Keep trusting that God is going to work on them. Maybe it's time for you to start trusting that again. And yeah, maybe it means I'm going to keep speaking up. No lecture. No condemning. Aren't we all recovering from something? I think so. We're all dealing with something. No, we just, we keep at it. Don't grow weary. God will reward it if you don't give up. There's a card in your bulletin. And it's just a simple card. Maybe it's, uh, you know, you want some prayers. I need some help. Tim, I'm messed up. And we have a team of people that pray through these cards, over these cards, and through these cards. They don't call each other and go, guess what so-and-so's up to. They don't do that. You know, I never hear from these people say, you better look at this because this person's messing. You know what they do? They don't talk to me. They talk to the Lord. And maybe there's a decision you want to make. And maybe the first step is going, you know what, I'm going to write it out. I'm going to write it out. This is the choice I'm making today. That would be a great first step. And then follow through with it. Maybe talk to somebody that knows you really well here. Or somebody that knows you well, period. And say, I decided to do this. Because when you say that, you're saying, I need you to help me. I need a partner. I need someone else to carry this because it's a little heavier than I expected. Now, I know it's Mobile Day weekend and we probably got stuff going on. Would you... Would you give a little bit of your time? Find out what, what you can do to help. Because we're trying to find our ministry in our community now. And so, uh, may God bless you as we help people that cannot help themselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for the power of your word, Lord. This is a powerful story. And Father, I, I, I think about, I don't want to be the crowd. I want to be one of those four guys. 
And I know, Father, right now, in a room this size, we're talking, there's some of us here that feel like the paralyzed guy. We're just, things are paralyzed right now in our life. And we just need some help. Would you help us that are paralyzed, Father, to let others help us? And Father, if we're part of the crowd and we've grown indifferent, would you... Would you break our hearts a little bit? Help us identify and be empathetic and begin to see the crowd of people that we live next to, that we work next to. And Father, give us the power and and the ability to help in some way. And Father, for some of us here, you know, we know how to help people like this, and we we're, in, we're right now in the middle of it. Father, I pray that you. Know, you help them, help us, Father, that are in the middle of that stuff. Give us perseverance to not give up. That Something that looks so impossible, Father, let us see that with your power it will crumble. I think about those guys at Jericho. A whole wall came crumbling down because they trusted you. And Father, I pray, we pray as a church, help us break the walls here and get out of this place and make a difference. Father, I think of... Some people right now. Tom Tarantino is recovering from surgery. I know that uh, Susan Gabir is here. Father had uh, some stuff going on with her appendix, I believe. Father, I know that um, Jackie is home. And Father, I, uh, I think of Janet McBride, who's just, uh, you know, talk about her road to recovery, just trying to get better. She's fell down, had these setbacks. And, and Father, um, I think of Stephanie. And I think of a dear friend of mine named Paul Smith, the very first guy I led to Christ when I moved here in 1985. Father, they've all got stuff going on. Father, I just, uh, for Joanne, who's here with a broken clavicle, I know that um, Faye and her knee, I mean, there's just, there's lots of stuff happening. You know, Joel's here, Father, you've took care of him. Father, I pray that you will. Help us as a church see needs. Father, break our hearts so we care enough to do something. And help us, Father, to get out and bring people to you, to your healing power. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.